This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Scott. I'm Jenny. I'm Tamahome. And we're going to talk new releases, recent arrivals, which are pretty much the same thing these days. <laughs> uh Jenny, you've seen all the sci-fi shows uh, that are adaptations of books lately? Yeah, I had a lot of time on my hands. <laughs> oh. Mm-hmm. So you saw the whole Childhood's End? I saw all of Childhood's End and two or three episodes of The Expanse. What was the other one? The Magicians? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was only on one time. You, you, you caught it? Yeah. Great. Yeah, I wasn't really excited about that one because I didn't like the book, but my husband had read all three of them and liked them, so he had recorded it. But it was pretty good as a show, I thought. Okay, and he liked the show? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, my main complaint about the book is the main character is so obnoxious, but he hasn't had time to be as annoying in the show, I guess, the way they've written it. (laughs) Well, that's good. And some of the effects are cool. Like, it didn't feel like sci-fi I feel like The Expanse still felt like sci-fi. Oh, yeah. Did, did like you see it? sci-fi channel, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, sorry. You yeah. know, S- low S-Y-F-I. budget. <laughs> Crappy is what you meant. Low budget, <laughs> not not very good acting. Yeah. But, well, I mean, I didn't... The Expanse is weird because it's like two stories that are going well, they, on. They actually, they actually took the second book and kind of worked it into the first show. So it's a little weird. Yeah, and I haven't read the second book, only the first one. But the first book has that Indian lady character that's really good. But she she mm-hmm. curses more in the book. So I hope that's so what's the first going on episode. from the second book. Well, she's not even in the first book. Oh, okay. It had been yeah, a all while. The, all the stuff on Earth is really not in the first book. It's mostly in space. Yeah. Okay, well, that that's making more the, sense. Yeah. And Scott, you said you'd seen some of it, right? Um, I saw the first episode of Expanse, and I liked it, but I haven't read the books. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, but anyway, I liked it fine. I'll, yeah. pro- I'll probably continue with the Expanse. I, yeah, I think it's fairly dense for a, a science fiction TV show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's almost to the point of being confusing because there's like alien language that's uh, sprinkled throughout it, and uh, I never know when it comes up. I actually watched the first episode with closed captioning a second time just to get it all straight. Oh, cool. That's a good idea. <laughs> you know what it kind of reminds me of? Did you guys ever see Caprica, the yeah. prequel yeah. show to yeah. Battlestar Galactica? Okay, so the planet that the guys with the hats come from, <laughs> I don't know what it's called, but there was a touch of that kind of noir feel in there. Huh. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, Caprica was a good show. I liked it. It was so it was so different from Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, it's sad that it ended. I would have liked to have seen that continue. Yeah, because it was like an actual show that wasn't just space battles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Battlestar Galactica was an actual show. There was a lot of good stuff. I don't stuff know. I, I couldn't watch it. There were just space battles everywhere. <laughs> That's the highlight. <laughs> Speaking of space battles, uh, Tam, you went and saw the new Star Wars movie, right? Yeah, I saw it the first day in a theater so, with reserved seats, so there was awesome. no problem getting in. 
was it 10 hours and 21 minutes long? No, it was only like two hours, I think. <laughs> why, why? I don't get it. Because the audio book the very first yeah, audiobook on our list. <laughs> oh, 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 Star Wars The Force Awakens, read by Mark Thompson. It's 10 hours, 21 minutes long. Oh, I wonder what yeah, and there's no that. description on Audible. It's just, it's just like, you know, like the movie. <laughs> it just says, no spoilers, please. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, they did a real good job of keeping a lid on all that, didn't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, Alan Dean Foster is a really good... Um, adapter is that what it <laughs> he writes good adaptations in fact um, I think we mentioned last time that a book was forthcoming and it is out now it's Alien and Aliens and I think yeah. the third one or all the adaptations <laughs> are now on audio <laughs> I think mm-hmm. the best adaptation I've ever read is Alien wow. so it'd be oh, fun yeah? to listen to that audiobook yeah and Alan Dean Foster does this uh, novelization of the new Star Wars movie. He also did the the second novelization after the first movie had come out, but Empire hadn't come out. So mm-hmm. he's he's a sort of a continuity there. But I just find it funny that the book can be ten hours twenty one minutes long. The movie, which is the source material presumably for the book, for the book, is I mean that's a lot of description of Greebles on the new R2-D2 <laughs> or whatever, right? Is that? Yeah. It's Maybe you find you know, the workings of BB-8. Yeah. You know, what What was the name of the the last prequel movie? Hmm. Force falls asleep or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Revenge of the Sith. That was it. Okay. Now that is a terrific audiobook. Um, it's not really? typical. Yeah. You know, the, the, the movie was disappointing for lots of reasons. But I found that the audio made it better. Um, hmm. But it, it's an atypical audiobook. There were these character introductions that they did um, that were really cool. They're almost like a little bit of backstory and stuff. Um, but it's an atypical audiobook, and I highly recommend it. And it's it's fun to listen to. So I don't know if this one's kind of similar or if it's a straight adaptation or or what. But. So the next audiobook on the list there, uh, The Tunnel Under the World, I've read. Um, it's actually been adapted itself for TV and radio a few times. Um, have you guys read that one, the Frederick no. Pohl? So this is an audio drama? Uh, um, I or is it a short story? It's just a short just story. A, it's oh, just okay. a short story as an audio book. So speculative with an exclamation point. Is that a publisher of short fiction? It's you guys see uh, that? public domain uh, sourcing. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, and then they sell it to Audible, and then Brilliance picks it up later too. So we get mm-hmm, quite a few yeah. of those, but with I think um, varied response from reviewers. Mm-hmm. I know Julie won't read any of them anymore, or listen to them <laughs> because of tough narration. She doesn't or... think they're well done. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's interesting. It's yeah. But uh, it's a good story, and uh, it's it's one of those ones where if you read it, you uh, eh, you you remember it. I think. Mm. 1954 in Galaxy Magazine, the Tunnel mm-hmm. Under the World. Uh, Omnilingual. That also is from Speculative. Yeah, and it's the same story. I mean, a lot of these have been released before, um, mm-hmm. either on LibriVox or other places, but. Uh, 
yeah, I don't know if you guys are keeping up, but I've got uh, a whole lot of new public domain stuff that nobody's oh, yeah. done yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's twenty more than 2,700 now. Wow. Holy cow. Which, and a lot of them are novels. I'm starting to get a lot of novels. Um, and I, I wish we had a source to uh, do some Canadian public domain stuff because there's some even better stuff in the Canadian public domain. So, well, so, so how does that work? Can, can you – well, SFF Audio lives in Canada, right? How does that work exactly? Well, no. Do you go by the, Canadian rules or American rules? Well, we have a server in Utah like uh, the NSA. And Uh, we also have (laughs) a server in Coquitlam, which is Uh, where I live. And so uh, the Canadian stuff goes in Canada and the American stuff goes in the States. Hmm. Interesting. Because Canada is 20 years better, Mm, 50 years after author's death, the U.S. has got the most patchwork system of any country. But basically, it's 1963 or prior could be public domain. It usually is. So when you're talking about Canadian science fiction, what are the what are some authors? Well, it doesn't actually have to be Canadian. It can be anybody. So C.S. Lewis's all of his works are public domain in Canada. Because oh, I see what you're saying. Years ago, right? So there are Canadian authors who are in the public domain, but it doesn't really matter where the author's born. It only matters uh, what country you're in when you're doing. So Ian Fleming, right? All of the James Bond books. Are public domain in Canada, hmm. not in the U.S. But uh, yeah. the, the important part is, is there's a lot of stuff that isn't well known um, in public domain, and we're starting to see that on this list in our PKD section. There's a seven-hour audiobook of uh, Philip K. Dick stuff that those are all um, all public domain that are you know past 1950. So. We can just get a little more uh, variety. I mean, I love Philip K. Dick. I'm glad to see more, but there's a, there's a lot more available than people suspect. I think. Yeah. yeah. But why don't we keep going? We well, got wait, lots can of I, stuff. Can I ask Jenny about uh, Childhood's End? Go for it. Yeah, Jenny, I liked that one. Did you End? Did you watch it? I saw the first one. I liked it. I was watching the second one. It seemed very like dramatic. It's terrible. So, so I kind of I kind of left off in the second one, but I want to go back to it. But you said I it was thought good. the pacing of it was really good. Yeah, I mean it's been long enough ago that I read the book, so I wasn't too worried about that. I guess. Um, I thought Remember it was pretty well done. From the book, though, it was terrible, and the stuff with you know that's straight off the page of the book is really good. But there's there's a lot of I don't know character drama in there that doesn't it was just hard to get through well the one thing yeah, I, I noticed is that second one go ahead uh, well most of the female characters were kind of there for the men to talk to and they would smile and nod and didn't have any lines did you notice that terrible <laughs> that was the one thing i didn't like too much i mean there's this one character that is female because she's central to the plot but other than that it's like this guy's secretary and this guy's wife. <laughs> you know, a lot of characters just standing around in fields waiting to be lifted up into the sky. Yeah. But the, but but the, the ending, it, like you have to watch the ending because it's pretty it's, amazing. It's okay. really good. Yeah. I mean, the, yeah. There, there are really good things I, going on in it. And Corella, the, those scenes are so good. Yeah. Yeah. The ending huh. of the first part was great. 
I, well, I, I don't. I don't know if you know this, Tam, but the the uh, the original story for this called Guardian Angel is public domain. So Arthur C. Clarke's uh, 1940 version of it is is uh, before it becomes a novel when it's nice and short. You can read that on the PDF page. Oh, okay. It's a good tip. Beautiful, beautiful Hans Bach wow. art too. I assume the book just has females as stand-ins too. No, no? <laughs> it's 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 much. I mean, it's it's a good book, um, but okay. the, yeah, the movie or the TV miniseries is it, it has some really good stuff. It could be edited down really nicely, I think. When they stick to the book, they're pretty good. When they do the other stuff, it's terrible. But let's let's keep going okay. to more positive things. Let's go down to King of Shards. Okay. King of Shards. Yeah, this is one of the titles mm-hmm. coming from Resurrection House. Book one of the World Mender trilogy by Matthew Kressel. Narrated by Jonathan Davis. Who is awesome. This one actually came out in October, but we had a few review copies offered to us. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, Jonathan Davis is so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Across the ineffable expanse of the great deep <laughs> float billions of shattered universes. Wow. wow. <laughs> now this is heavy. The shards populated with vengeful demons and tormented humans. That sounds like um, you remember Superman two. <laughs> they were in some shards. No, the shards need <laughs> Earth to survive just as plants need water. Earth itself is kept alive by thirty six righteous people, thirty six hidden saints known as the Lamed Vav. Interesting. Kill but a few of the Lamidvav and the earth will shatter, and all the shards that rely upon it will die in a horrible cataclysm. Hmm. Sounds like a metaphor for something. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. It's uh, probably, you know, with Jonathan Davis reading it, it's sure to be a good audio. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, I still have a code for it if you want it, because nobody took okay. me up on it, but... Okay. What is Resurrection House? Um, that's a publisher? That is the one that Mark Teppo started. Oh, okay. Very nice. Okay. So they have, you know, a, a growing number of authors and books there. It's kind of neat. Well, cool. Well, I may have to try that. independent one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, sign me up for that. Why not? <clears throat> okay. Yeah. Okay, um, now we're into... Ooh, should we save that one for the Philip K. Dick section? We yeah, have, might uh, as well. <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll wait on that one. Now, coming very soon, in uh, just a few days, actually, um, not knowing when this podcast will post, but um, Dahlgren, a 36-hour uh, audiobook of Dahlgren read by Stefan Rudnicki. Um, Dahlgren is by Samuel R. Delaney. Um, now I remember I, I had this book as a teenager and I remember reading some of it, but I never got through it. Um, it's crazy. It's a crazy it book. Really? I read it this year. Yeah. yeah. Or this I knew that you had read year. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So here's the yeah. description and then tell me if it, if it makes any sense. Uh, Bella Bellona is a city at the dead center of the United States. Something has happened there. The population has fled. Madmen and criminals wander the streets. Strange portents appear in the cloud-covered sky, and into this disaster zone comes a young man, a poet, a lover, and an adventurer known only as the Kid. 
tackling questions of race, gender, and sexuality, Dahlgren is a literary marvel and a groundbreaking work of American magical realism. So is it a literary marvel? Well, it's long. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things I was noticing... Yeah. Well, one of the things I was noticing is I read this along with a group that I, it's like a book club online called the Misfit Readers, where we always read like really challenging stuff. And there's these beautiful descriptions of the city and the weather. And every time he gets to one of those, it's like it almost signifies a change in the plot. But there are things that are happening that make no sense at all. Like they're just not like realistically possible. <laughs> And so it it takes a bit bit to unwind it and figure it out. It's not like I've figured it out or anything. But if you've ever read J.G. Ballard, that's who it makes me think of the most. That kind of tone. Some really great quotes about it on uh, the Wikipedia entry. So this is from Theodore Sturgeon. He says, the very best ever to come out of the science fiction field. A literary landmark. And then uh, somebody named Daryl Schweitzer says, Dahlgren is, I think, the most disappointing thing to happen to science fiction since Robert Heinlein made a complete fool of himself with I fear I will fear no evil, <laughs> which I want to reread now. Um, and then <laughs> listen to this. Uh, by contrast, fellow writers such as Philip K. Dick and Harlan Ellison hated the novel. <laughs> um uh, Ellison says, I must be honest, I gave up after 361 pages. I could not permit myself to be guided or bored any further. Wow. And uh, Dick says, a terrible book that should have been marketed as trash. I just started reading it and said, this is the worst trash I've ever read. And I threw it away. It's like, wow, wow that's, that's a really, huge... That surprises me from Philip K. Dick. Uh, I know. Well, and it's probably because there's a lot of explicit sex in there and it's not all heterosexual, so he's probably reacting to that. But Jeff Vanamir says that reading it is a lot of work and sometimes we don't like to work. And Joe Walton says it's impenetrable but on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> so is because this that's like, what happens um, when civilization is taken away. Who's that author that you uh, read um Gosh, I can't remember the name of the book that you were going to read again soon um, that was really hard to get through. Oh, Infinite Jest? Yeah, that's it. Is it Ooh. comparable? Is that like uh, the same? Yeah, and it, I think so. And it's funny because it's the same group that read Infinite Jest that chose this book. There's some crossover concepts there. Would you, would you call it postmodern? Sure. <laughs> Did you compare it to Gravity's just, Rainbow? Trying, trying to learn my no. genres. Uh, oh, cool. All right. Well, next up is a book that um, Jesse has uh, said, Scott, you should read this uh, since I first met him. And now I, here, I, know, I think I will listen to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Golden is, Fleece by Robert J. Yeah. Sawyer. Yeah. So I, I just heard the narrator. He sounds good. Um, the... The book, this is Robert J. Sawyer's first novel, and it's the one that made me go, oh, my God, i got to read all this guy's books. Um, it's What's so cool about it is it's a murder mystery set on a generation starship uh, that is outbound to the stars. But the narrator is the computer on the ship. Um, and uh, you're the detective in the murder mystery. 
And what's what I love about it is it combines the murder mysteries as you know story storytelling that I like with um, hard SF. So if you if you understand physics and Robert J. Sorry is pretty good at you know explaining it to you, um, and you think that's cool, you'll love this book. I I I did when I read it years and years and years ago in paperback, but it's been out of print. Uh, forever and there's a review here that sounds like I wrote it. it says this is the only Robert J. Sawyer book I didn't have it's been out of print for many years but now it's back hooray I read it one sitting and enjoyed it 100% on the cover uh, is Charles DeLint is quoted as saying it's hard to believe that this was Sawyer's first effort and that's true it reads just as well as his more recent books I would say better than his more recent books a great combination of mystery and sci-fi a really good and not at all dated book about artificial intelligence. Hmm. So, um, I'm, I've not reread it since I read it years ago, but if it holds up at all, it will be fabulous. Oh, cool. Yeah, definitely going to read it. <laughs> nice and short, seven hours, 43 minutes. Look at that. Yeah. That kind of sounds like, like Aurora by uh, Kim Stanley Robinson. Yes, except uh, it, it it's um, the, in the first generation, so they uh, the the story doesn't take place, you know, long after the first generation's gone. Okay, but I think there is a narrator that's an artificial intelligence in that book too. Yeah, yeah. I, I from what I understand about Aurora, though, it it's dealing with sort of uh, bigger issues right. in SF than this is. This is much more a murder mystery about physics. Than it is, um, it's more like 2001 than it is uh, uh, what uh, you know Kim Stanley Robinson is dealing with, which it also sounds good, but quite quite different books. It's just they're sort of uh, have the same setting. Okay. Uh, they're also um, I don't know if it got put on the list or not, but there's also another one from that era um, in Robert J. Sawyer's um, oeuvre on just recently put out and first time in audio as well. It's called end of an era. Um, he did a dinosaur trilogy, um, you know, uh, that are, uh, metaphors or analogs for Darwin and, um, Copernicus and, uh, one other scientist, probably Einstein, um, basically it's alien dinosaurs, mini Tyrannosaurus Rex is living on an alien planet with no connection to earth. Um, that that's a trilogy, but right before he did that trilogy, he did a standalone dinosaur book that I thought was really cool. Um, it's not as good as golden fleece, but it's still really cool uh, called end of an era. And it, uh, postulates a theory as to why the dinosaurs died out. Um, and it's a, a terrible theory in that it's, I don't think it's plausible at all, but it kind of fits the facts, which is kind of, you know, a point in its favor. And it's a fun standalone dinosaur book by Robert J. Sawyer, who is a very good, you know, real SF hard, uh, SF writer. So, um, I would recommend that as well. I didn't get a chance to listen to the uh, narrator, but, um, again, another out of print Robert J. Sawyer book that is now in print and audio. Yeah, I love that first dinosaur book where uh, he has like a telescope. It's like a dinosaur yeah, yeah. standing up and he has clothes on and he has a telescope. 
Yeah, it's a, it's a, actually, it's again, like he does this thing where you are doing the science along with the characters. And um, I, I haven't seen him do that lately, but uh, he can do it really well when he wants to. Awesome. This uh, cool. Jenny, did you see that long list that Scott added? The long list anthology? Yeah. I don't know what it I've, is. Yeah, I've Maybe got it pulled up here. <laughs> you bet. Um, long list anthology is from Skyboat Media, which is Stefan Rudnicki um, <laughs> and crew. Uh, it's called uh, More Stories from the Hugo Awards Nomination List. Um, so here's the description. The long list anthology is designed to recognize the short works that were nominated for the 2015 Hugo Awards, but did not make it into the top five short list for the final ballot. Thus voted into the Hugo's long list of works, um, the top 15 works nominated for each category, etc. Um, so I don't know if this is a response to all the kerfuffle in the Hugo's <laughs> or if this is something he wants to do moving forward which would be really kind of cool if, if that was the case. Mm-hmm. Um, so here's a list of what's in it. Um, the Breath of War by Aliette de Baudard. I hope I said that right. When It Ends, He Catches Her by Yuji Foster. Toad Words by T. Kingfisher. Makisha in Time by Rachel K. Jones. Covenant by Elizabeth Bear. The Truth About Owls by Amal L. Motar. A Kiss with Teeth by Max Gladstone. The Vaporization Enthalpy of a Peculiar Pakistani Family by Usman T. Malik and This Chance Planet by Elizabeth Baer. Those are short stories. And then there's three novelettes included. We Are the Cloud by Sam J. Miller, The Magician and Laplace's Demon by Tim Crosshill, and Spring Festival Happiness, Anger, Love, Sorrow, Joy by Zia Jia, translated by Ken Liu. Um, interesting collection. I thought it was kind of cool and wanted to note it. Um, Similar um, to the the year's top uh, short SF novels, Volume Five. Yeah, this is great. Um, but that, uh, yeah, there because it's mostly short stories. It's shorter. It's like nine hours, right? Um, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, fifteen hours for the. Uh, Year's top short no- SF novels, volume five. Yeah, because those Alan, are all novelettes, right? Right, yeah, and yeah. Alan Castor edits the the year's top short SF novels. So these mm-hmm. are, you know, him saying, you know, I believe that these are the top short SF novels, Alan mm-hmm. Castor, and it's I, his, I really his exactly, right? and I I really uh, like I like his selections usually. Um, so in his, uh, you have. So this is, um, again, the, the year's top short SF novels, Volume 5, is available now. And um, The Man Who Sold the Moon by Cory Doctorow is in it. The Regular by Ken Liu. Claudius Rex by John P. Murphy. Of All Possible Worlds by J. O'Connell. Each in His Prison, Thinking of the Key by William Preston. And The Last Log of Lacrimosa by Alistair Reynolds. Set in the Revelation Space Universe. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I gotta listen to that one too. <laughs> We're getting all the uh, all the news. Everything's coming to audio now. Well, and I have it this is, one physically. Know. If anyone wants it. <laughs> oh really? Yeah, sign me up mm-hmm. for that one too. Seriously, I would really like that one. Um, all right. But yeah, Jesse, in Audible, they have nineteen thousand five hundred and twenty-four titles of science fiction. Crazy. 
Remember when it was 10? Yeah. I, I mean, mm-hmm. you and I were, were looking at that list every every month looking for new stuff and uh, yeah. back when it was scarce. Well, I don't know if you saw the New York Times article I tweeted a few weeks ago about um, this, just the state of publishing in general, where audiobooks are like the new ebooks as mm-hmm. far as their popularity and how it's grown. Wow. So I think publishers are like, yeah, we're going to make an audiobook because we'll make money that way. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. They used you know, to be so expensive, but now I'm, they're affordable. You can, people can buy them. We we did a show on D- the Demolished Man uh, by mm. Alfred Bester recently, and uh, one of the interesting things about the world that that story is set in is there are no books anymore. There, the main character goes to the audiobook store, right? <laughs> <laughs> which is which is pretty funny because the Demolished Man is one of the rarest audiobooks to get. It's not on Audible. You know what? What we haven't seen a lot of, just a little bit of, though. So. Is um, audiobooks changing the um, novel? Meaning uh-huh. that you know they're you know what we're doing. We're still taking these novels that were in print and making audio versions of them, right? I don't know. I think if you look at I think if you look at that Audible list of nineteen thousand, there are a lot of medium or short books on there that are I don't think ever going to see paper distribution. They're ebook authors. Uh, and audiobook authors only. And, I mean, they don't come to mind immediately, but um, books like The Martian is a good example of, you know, a book that hits paper after it hits everything else, right? Well, it was still written as a novel. I see what it, you're saying. It is, it but, is still and, written as And The novel. Martian is actually a really good example of something that is really excellent on audio because of... Mm-hmm the way it's written, right? Mm. It's this guy basically talking, <laughs> right? Which is great on audio. I love those. Um, I think, I think we, we are a little disconnected from, from that ebook, um, first market, but the, I was, I mean, looking through the audible listings, there's a lot of new releases that are exactly, you know, an hour and a half or 15 minutes long. So they, it is changing. Um, I don't know if it's for the better or for the worse. It's just it it is adding to the the list. You know, there is endless series still, mm-hmm. right? Which I think is a relic of uh, you know uh, uh, something we saw in the bookstores when there were physical bookstores. But there's also uh, a lot of shorter stuff that are series like um, that is new. So it, I think it's happening. That's true. That's true. And there is some. There is some of it. It's just the very beginning of it, right? But um, Scalzi and I know uh, Kowal, Mary Robinette Kowal, have written some things that went straight to audio before print. Um, in fact, that was a, another Hugo kerfuffle. Was when uh, Mary Robinette had one disqualified because it was audio only. <laughs> you know, and she published it in print, and then it got nominated, and I think it won the next year. It's called the Lady Astronaut. Of Mars, I think. Does that sound right? Sounds right. Yeah. But uh, but anyway, sorry, just a side observation that. Oh no, it's good. Uh, I wonder how much stuff that you know straight to audio, if, if it's becoming so popular, that may be uh, become more common. And you know, <laughs> I always look for more than self pub stuff. You know, but if mm. the if the self pub stuff was, you know, blazing new ground. 
um, and it was popular, then you would see the, a major publisher start to do the same kind of thing. But I know that Audible's doing some of it already. Jenny, did so, you see? Jenny, were you going to say something there? Oh, I just wondered if it's connected to the rising popularity of podcasts, too. Because hmm. people who were never podcast listeners before are super into them now, like, you know, hmm. Serial and things like that. Mm-hmm. Because and welcome to Night Vale. I know that's a really recent popular that's on the one. list here. Yeah, um, yeah that, that became it, a book. Yeah, it's a and it's a novel, not what that show is, which is kind of a radio drama sort of. <laughs> yeah, you know when I when I was in the black hole of my previous job, I I completely missed the Night Vale thing. I don't. It is on our list, so we'll talk about it. But I don't even know what it is. No idea. Well, I've heard it. Anybody else here heard it? No, I haven't it. listened, but. I see Facebook posts about it all the time and Twitter posts. <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny. It's, uh, it's it's too popular for how good it is, in, in my opinion. But it it's not bad for what it is. It, basically, it's it's a fake community radio uh, station that has you know news and weather and sports, uh, mostly you know community news in a small town. But the small town is like you know Twin Peaks on steroids, right? So <laughs> everything is strange. You know, so when the, you say it's on our list, they made like an audiobook version of a podcast? N- uh, well, no, I th- it's an audiobook uh, unrelated to – I think <laughs> what it is is it's unrelated to the text that you would hear the, well, the reader perform in the podcast. But um, – There's a print novel too. I think there's like a novelization yeah, in the same yeah, world or um, something. Sorry, I have it up here. I'm just looking at the dis- well. It's not really a description. It's it's just a thing. But it says, "Welcome to Night Vale, a novel by Joseph Fink and Jeffrey Cranor." Mm-hmm. It's twelve hours long. It's from Harper Collins. Right, and it's got multiple readers. Um, the, the main show is one guy uh, performing a kind of. What's so funny about this this podcast is. It was actually not meant to be the hit that it was. It was supposed to be popular so that they could sell some other product. They were gonna like, you know, get you hooked up front uh, with this interesting thing, and then uh, hit you hit you up later with uh, with the actual product. And they didn't end up launching that other product because this one was so popular. Um, it's very light. It's very light entertainment. Um, I think you know if you're your uh, it, it, it the, the speculative content is it's mostly humor, right? But it's not Douglas Adams sort of um, how big is the universe? It's really big, right? It's it's mm-hmm. much more uh, Prairie Home Companions with with Twin Peaks sort of thing. Okay. Everything's strange in the town, and it's it's cute, but it didn't hold me the way it holds most people. Does it have zombies? It has everything. Yeah, it has zombies. <laughs> But they, you know, you never see them, right? They, they're it's just from you know the guy reading the sort of you know warnings about don't go out at the park at night because your dogs will get eaten by the ghost, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. It's it's a very because it, it it isn't a radio drama, but it's presented as such because there's no sound effects and there's no other characters. There's just the one guy. Well, this this makes me think that this is. An example of what I was just saying. That yeah, it is kind of yeah. that, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, Jenny was right. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. 
Yes. All right. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I just wanted to mention A Borrowed Man by Gene Wolfe, which actually came out in October um, as an audiobook, and I think in uh, regular print as well. Um, because I heard an interview of him on Coot Street, and this is one that I'd like to read. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a hundred, perhaps a hundred years in the future. Our civilization is gone, and another is in place in North America, but it retains many familiar things and structures. Although the population is now small, there is advanced technology, there are robots, and there are clones. E.A. Smythe is a borrowed person. He is a clone who lives on a third-tier shelf in a public library, and his personality is an uploaded recording of a deceased mystery writer. Mm. Smythe is a piece of property, not a legal human. A wealthy patron, Colette Coldbrook, takes him from the library because he is the surviving personality of the author of Murder on Mars. A physical copy of that book was in the possession of her murdered father, and it contains an important secret, the key to immense family wealth. It is lost, and Colette is afraid of the police. She borrows Smythe to help her find the book and to find out what the secret is. (laughs) And then it says, and then the plot gets complicated. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds good. (laughs) It doesn't sound cool. So I wanted to mention that, and uh, Jenny has read it, so I'd love to hear if she has any comments about it. But um, it it sounds so good. Yeah, I um the only books I've read by Jane Wolfe are Shadow and Claw, you know, which are super dense mm-hmm. and complicated, and this is not like that at all, <laughs> which okay. is fine. I just I, I think I was surprised by the lightness of it, um, but of course I liked the fact of you know being a librarian myself that this is the future library where it's people and clones that you borrow instead of books. Mm. It's kind of fun. But it's a fun uh, read. Is it uh, as Dixie Flatline as as it sounds like from Neuromancer? That sounds what it's like. That character, you know, who's a. Do you remember what I'm talking about, Neuromancer? No. <laughs> there's in. I thought Neuromancer was your fave. I like Neuromancer, remember? but I don't remember Dixie. There's Flatline. a character who's called Dixie Flatline. He, he he's he's a dead hacker who's living on a ROM chip. And the main character carries him around and consults him, plugs him in. Uh, but if you don't attach RAM to him, he can't remember what you just said. Yeah. It's, a re- it's a really cool aspect of the story. You know, it's one of the things about Neuromancers, the ideas that you don't see, I, I guess, subsequently, but you hadn't seen previously are sort of springing up on every page and he just... So yeah, uh, that it's a great character. That, that well, and the clone, uh, you know, has the ability to form new memories. So yeah, he also remembers all the time he spends on the shelf, cold metal oh, really? shelf. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of uh, sad, you know, actually. It's a comedy, it sounds like. Yeah. Wow. wow. Oh, cool. All right. Um, next up, now we're in our fantasy section. Um, yeah, and I just wanted to mention the Bands of Mourning just because Mistborn is so popular. It's number six yeah. in that series, read by Michael Red Kramer. Sanderson. I, I have not read all these, but it's really cool what he's done with this series. Um, yeah. It seems that he's moved from uh, this fantasy setting. Well, it's still fantasy, but his world is moving on. Uh, you know, So he's going like far in the future, and it's almost like a steampunk thing is what it looks like to me. Um, for the last few books and maybe, you know, next will be some other aspect of the world where, you know, 300 years after that one, you know, it's going to be different still. 
be interesting to, you know, a lot of people love these Mistborn books and, uh, I just haven't got to them. Has anybody read them? No. 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 Okay. <laughs> yeah. Brandon Sanderson, but he sure turns them out fast though. It's pretty mm-hmm. amazing. It does. Yeah, it is. Cool. The next uh, one I included, um, is called the seventh bride by T Kingfisher read by Kaylin Heath. I just hadn't heard of the author or this book. Um, it fits more under like the fairy tales, folk tales, legends category, but it seemed related. Um, cause it kind of seems like fantasy to me. Young mm-hmm. Rhea is a Miller's daughter of low birth. So she's understandably surprised when a mysterious nobleman, Lord Crevin shows up on her doorstep and proposes marriage. Since commoners don't turn down lords, no matter how sinister they may seem, Rhea is forced to agree to the engagement. Lord Crevin demands that Rhea visit his remote manor before their wedding. Upon arrival, she discovers that not only was her betrothed married six times before, but his previous wives are all imprisoned in his enchanted castle, which sounds Uh a little bit like... (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Blackbeard. It sounds... What's the name of that one? Bluebeard? 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 Yeah. Yeah, one of the beards. Yeah, and there's the castle of murder i think is another one yeah Uh, and so he gives her a series of magical tasks to complete right and that almost sounds more like um scheherazade you know come back before dawn or else i'll marry Mm -hmm. you well in one one version of that story uh there's a he goes away on a trip um, and he gives her a, a key keys to every room in the house, and he says, "You can go to any room except for this one." And he oh, shows her the key, and he says, "Also, hold this egg and never let it out of your sight." <laughs> so, of course, the idea is that she immediately goes as soon as he's gone to the the little room with the little key, and as soon as she steps in, she drops the egg because it's you know a bucket full of his previous wives he's chopped up who have yeah. also done exactly the same thing, so. <laughs> very scary Brothers Grimm uh, before it gets sanitized into, you know, a Disney version. <laughs> <laughs> really horrible <laughs> stories. Wonderful. That's Could cool. be fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I see a, a nice Phil K. Dick section, unless there's anything else exciting in this uh, in this fantasy section. Fantasy. Well, I think um, uh, the yeah, Anubis sorry. Gates. Yeah, I wanted to mention that. The Anubis Gates, which is new on audio. Uh, really? Yeah, I have not seen it on audio before. Um, and it, it's coming out, like, very shortly. It's not even mm. out yet. Um, and it's read wow. by Bronson Pinchot, so yeah. awesome. <laughs> I, I would have assumed this was out years ago, but... Yeah, yeah Tim, Powers, Tim Powers does not have a lot of audio. Um in fact, I just called it up on Audible, and including the Anubis Gates, which is not quite out yet, there are six titles. Mm. So yeah, there's, I, still, um, there's still a lot of Tim Powers to go if they do all of his. One Day Last Call by Tim Powers was on, like on one of their two-for-one deals, and it's also narrated by Bronson Pinchot. Mm-hmm. Um, I downloaded it, but I've never listened to it. <laughs> yeah. Didn't we and do a the, show on That's the on first of a trilogy. Times. Oh, is uh, it? Yeah, on Stranger Tides we did, yeah. Yeah, and Bronson Pinchot seems to be doing all his stuff. I, I don't think that ever came out. Right. <laughs> oh, I, remember, I remember we read it. I don't know what happened to that episode, but I don't mm. know that it ever posted. What? what? <laughs> <laughs> Give it a something look. something went wrong. 
Yeah, something, I think something went wrong. Something went wrong. This okay. was years ago. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. On Stranger Tides is cool. It's a pirate uh, book that um, Disney purchased uh, when oh. after after the original trilogy. People kept telling Tim Powers, is, you know, I, I think Disney read your book. And then they finally just bought it and uh, used some elements of it in some of the other Pirates of the Caribbean books. Pam did the review on it. <laughs> um, yeah, it doesn't yeah, exist as an episode, though, right? Yeah, you're right. You know what? Uh, I, I remember I was before, trying to record it and something went wrong. Bronson Pinchot uh, didn't show up for it either. Was he that supposed was to? Thing. <laughs> yeah. He well, was hard to I get don't remember that, but that would have been amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, he was busy on his his. He has a like a very strange um, ho- home and garden renovation show mm-hmm. where he he's bought up most of the town that he lives in and he just starts fixing up a new building in the town. Oh, how cool! It is it's 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 this really st- surreal show because he's like almost the only person in the town. It seems like at least the way they shoot it. But he's got a contractor, and he, he goes around buying things for the the new houses, and they it it, it is it is a very strange show, but kind of funny to watch, kind of fun and funny to watch. Didn't yeah. you call him on the phone? Yeah, I talked to him a couple times. That's cool. But he was always uh, it, it was it was never the right time when we so we never actually connected on that. But it's funny. I I, I swear we we did a show on it, and maybe it just never came out. Fantastic narrator. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, that, and then the other one I wanted to... to... Go ahead. I was going to say, on Stranger Tides is a book where you have to keep notes, because it's very complex. Yeah, it's indeed. It. Kind of like Gene Wolfe in that way, where something right. happens, and the author assumes that you'll remember that it happened, or, and who was involved, and the char- next character shows up again in 100 pages, and you're like, where was he? Or where have I seen that person before? Or the um, characters change names, even. Yeah, that's true too. Yeah. yeah. Oh, cool. All right. Uh, I wanted to mention Penrix Demon, um, a fantasy novella in the world of the five gods by Lois McMaster Bujold. Um, this is a novella that is set in the, I don't mm. know what you call the world, but uh, Curse of Chalion and Paladin yeah. of Souls. Right, right. Um, so here's a novella. So I don't know if this is coming out in print or not. Um, that would be interesting if this was an audio-only thing, but mm-hmm. um, but anyway, four hours and two minutes, a novella, and I've Red heard that those books Park. are really cool, uh, so are really excellent. Hell yeah, heard, Souls, especially. I heard her on a podcast or in an interview somewhere uh, saying that that her her audiobook sales are are way bigger than her regular book sales, <laughs> which is. Uh, it's cool because she's a yeah, cool. she's a pretty high level author. She is, yeah. They, all the Verkozigans now are on audio, all read by Grover Gardner, all from Blackstone Audio. And she was a, a her stuff was pioneering uh, back before Audible too. I think. Oh yeah, back in the there was a company called the Reader's Chair, mm-hmm. and they did um, I, all the Verkozigans. Yeah, stuff. was it? I think it was Michael Kramer and Carol Cohen. Yeah. Yeah, and they they team read the Verkozigan books, and they they didn't get through all of them. And um, they did pretty good though, I think. Yeah, got... I remember I reviewed and I loved Falling Free, that was mm-hmm. the reader's chair version of that. Um, 
yeah, they were really good audiobooks. And then uh, the company like, folded. Yeah. And I don't know where where those recordings went, but um, I mean Grover Gardner does a really good job. But uh, I would love to recover those recordings somehow. <laughs> Somebody's got them. <laughs> mm-hmm. They were only out on cassette. I don't even know if they ever did any CDs. It was that old. Yeah, it was sort of uh, the tail end of cassettes, but. Um, well, I, I wish I, I, I wish I had kept falling free, but I didn't. I gave it to the library, and then <laughs> the library one day um, decided that they were going to move away from cassettes, and all the cassettes disappeared. And I'm not sure where they got sent, but <laughs> I was like, mm. no, because <laughs> I had given them a lot. Well, uh, let's move into the the PKD section. He has his own category now. Uh, probably just for this one time, but um, there's this five. This is an astounding amount of Philip K. Dick. It is. Um, these are actually uh, following a book format. Um, I think Subterranean Press uh, put out. So uh, the five volumes. There, there have been other uh, volumes in, put in different order with different titles. I think or similar, but. Um, the main thing to know is, is this is all of his uh, short stuff. Um, he didn't write a lot of novelettes uh, or novellas, but he did write a lot of short stories, most of them early in his career. And the way these are organized is not in a way that I understand because it's not chronological and it's not um, uh, it's not thematic. So I, I don't understand how... They decide to put him that way. But the main thing is is it's a mix of his non-public domain and public domain in every collection. Well, it seems like two through five go chronologically, but maybe volume one, they pull out their favorites or something. Because yeah, two is 1952, 53. Three is 53, 54. Four is 54 and oh, between 54 and 63. And then the last one is... Like sixty-three to eighty, yeah, eighty-one or something, yeah, eighty-one. But it doesn't start with the first story, and it doesn't. Is oh it, yeah, like how they're organized within the yeah. anthology. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, it, well, it's not. It's a collection, right? So, if it was, if it was like, uh, here are robot stories, or here are, you know, it, it, I don't understand the the way they've collected it that way. It may, it may be a legacy of. Of you know how many pages do you have in the? This is a a thing that you have in paper, right? Is that you have to fit pages together, you know, right. stories on pages, and so it may be organized in some sort of logic that way. But uh, I'm not sure even that this, like I, I'm not a guy who sits down and reads an entire collection of short stories, you know, page after page. So. These audiobooks, I mean, this has always been an issue Scott and I have thought about, right? Is how do you listen to short stories in audio? Because you don't want to listen back to back. Um, yeah, it's tough. It's tough for me to listen to them just straight back to back to back to back. It's like I've got to have a little processing time. Yeah. Mm hmm. You go away and come back. Um, so, I mean, these are good value, I would say. But I, I almost prefer the you know the, the looseness that you see in you know buying them individually just because it saves you having to 
find your spot again and and because because of the lack of transition time between uh you finish a story and then the next story starts right up you have to sort of be a lot more engaged with your phone or your ipod right yeah i have the same problem with even just like print anthologies i don't I never know how to read them, so I just don't. And I have this whole shelf. <laughs> oh. It's actually one of my reading goals for the year because I have this amazing shelf of science fiction fantasy anthologies, and I just don't know how to read them. So well, I think you treat them like reference books. Like like what I do, I've got all those as, as well. You know, I've got like four volumes on like i was like looking at how do i classify these four volumes of alien sex books like i don't even like alien sex stories i just buy all the anthologies i can find right so uh what happens is i i get into an author or i'm looking for a particular story and then oh i go grab it like a reference book so this comes up a lot for you oh yeah yeah and that's why i bundle i try not to bundle you know, short story collections on that PDF page, I'd make them all separate as much as I can because I like, you know, I treat them like a fine meal. You know, a, story, a short story is a fine meal. You don't, you know, <laughs> go to the buffet and pig out and get some more, right? It's just one, you know, nice plate full of food. Yeah. Or maybe fine wine makes more sense because you store them on the shelf like a, an old vintage or something. But I mean, in particular, you find the need to reference alien sex short stories? I, uh, you know, that's just an example. Like I've got you know, <laughs> tons of Arthur C. Clarke uh, collections. and But every once in a while they make these thematic ones, right? So, you know, end of the world but I was like going through my collection recently. I was like, I don't read any of these. Right? But the problem is, is I will, I will need to go reference one of them because there's going to be a short story in there that is, uh, I, I want to read and I don't, um, I don't have the magazine or something. Right. So. Oh, right. Well, I also, I know that I, the anthologists do a lot of work to group things in a logical way and, to pace it in a certain way. So sometimes I think, well, if I don't read all of them back to back, maybe I'm missing something that they thought was important, but I don't know. It's, it, you can't, you can't just sit down and read them back to back. It doesn't work for me anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, but even so, like these Philip K. Dick ones, I have the paper versions and I don't read them back to back. I use them as a, a reference book that I go grab it and I read the story that I'm particularly interested in that week. And then I go put it back on the shelf. I haven't read them cover to cover at all. Right. Sometimes they're just using the notes in the back or publication date or whatever it is. So I'm not saying these are bad. I'm just saying that it's, it's weird to have something that is a paper volume translated to audio uh, as a you know, volume one, volume two, it, 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 to me, it doesn't make as much sense. And I think that's because Audible has always done this. You're buying a, a, a book for a credit thing and they don't price them in a way so that like if these were 99 cents a story, I think they'd sell uh, probably m- more if they didn't have the credit system that they do. Well, they'd sell the most famous titles more, right? But the ones that right. are not famous may sell very, well, very little. 
is fiction wise still going, Scott? That was one you you were no, really... fiction wise. No, they're not. Uh, yeah, and that Short was that was cool. Don't... I really loved yeah. that site. <laughs> you could buy uh, ebook before... ebook short stories. Yeah, before with, Amazon before... killed everybody. But Amazon bought fiction wise. That's what happened. Right, right. Not to say it's a you know it's it's bad to have these as audio. It's just I I couldn't process them as a you know the way they've got them formatted. Um, Valis, I think, was also a new release. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's a novel, though. Right. Are they approaching 100% Philip K. Uh, Dick coverage now? I think it's gotta be soon, right? <laughs> there's, there's a, there's Nick and the Glimmung. I think is not uh, out yet, or maybe it is. Um, that's a children's book he wrote. Most of the most of his um, science fiction has been done. For sure, and most of his, uh, even his mainstream books that didn't sell very well while, or didn't sell at all while he was alive, have been done now too. So it could be at a hundred percent. Not with it, with these uh, audio collections of his shorts, could be at a hundred percent. Cool. Um, there's a new in the bottom there. There's a new Podcane of Mars. Which I think is a very good story. You guys read anybody? Read I have that? not read that one. I, Robert A. Heinlein. Yeah, it's one of uh, he did a whole bunch of uh, juvenile books. This is his girl one. The main character is a girl, and wow. she's feisty, and her brother's even feistier. <laughs> and it's quite sad, and it has an alternate ending. So I'm not sure which one they've used here. Oh, oh, here it says at the end. This, this edition restores the book to how Heinlein originally wrote it. It also includes a letter to his agent decrying the changes asked for by his original publisher. So there's a, there was two different endings, and uh, one of them is really sad. Hmm. And he prefers a sad one? I believe that's correct. They, it's been a while since I read it, but um, it's, it's very... Um, Fun and feisty. Uh, the characters are very young, but uh, it's also got a lot of, um, fam- you know, the family dynamics things that he's going on. Uh, the her and her brother are were a batch of like five children. Um, three of them are still in the freezer. <laughs> <laughs> and the mom's the mom's the engineer, and the dad's the emotional one. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty fun. That's cool. And there's an uncle, of course, who's a, like a senator or something. So it's got all the all the good Heinlein tropes that make you go, "Oh my god!" <laughs> <laughs> I should also point out at, at the bottom here there is a uh, another uh, the seven hour forty one minute unreconstructed M and other stories. This is the public domain version of. The uh, the five volumes mentioned earlier, um, some of these are directly because of my works. So I'm just doing a little humble bragging here, but or maybe just regular bragging. <laughs> but uh, I've been instrumental in bringing the these to the public attention. And the publisher is uh, Mike Vendetti, who's a friend of mine. So uh, although the narrator is not somebody I know. Um, I think it's cool that there's a public version, public domain version of this, and there's some really good stories in there. 
Nice. Yeah. Beyond lies the web. Mm-hmm. And upon the dull earth, which is mm-hmm. fabulous. Beyond the door. And then there's also some dogs in there. I don't understand Piper in the woods at all. Uh, cool. Interesting stuff. All right. So, yeah, at the very bottom, you, you talk about Great Northern Audio. Right. Yeah. So this is this is cool. Yeah, the Great Northern Audio titles. Yeah, they've they've been sort of hidden away for years and years as a podcast radio show, mostly a radio show. Um, but now, finally, having a commercial release that will get into people's hands. I think there's 19 different titles. Yeah, that's cool. I've listened to some of these. The most recent I've heard is In the Embers, and mm-hmm. it was very good. I did review that for SFF Audio. Um, very haunting. It, it sounds terrific. It's about, um, well, at the very beginning, there's a, uh, a scientist who is reading emotional imprints on embers in a house that had burned down. So hmm. he, he said that there's these, these things that are imprinting the wood like a record would. And he, using this technology, is figuring out how to play it. So you can, he could play audio recordings of what happened when it burned down. And uh, anyway, the story kind of goes from there. But it's it's really good, and it's got a lot of good music in it, too. You know, we actually had Jerry Stearns from this on the podcast once. It was a long time ago, and it was I don't think it was even related to audio drama. I think it was just a regular read-along. But the um, I, I'm... I'm so glad that there's finally a way to get these because we would talk about them, you know, Scott, on the mm-hmm. on the blog. We would, like, post about them and they would air. You know, we'd say, it's going to air, mm-hmm. and then it would be gone. Yeah. And some of them were on CD as well. You know, they did that. They would uh, publish them on CDs because we've received some of these in the past. Sure, sure. Yeah. But, that, you know, CDs. Yeah. <laughs> Like Jenny's saying, you know, we don't actually get a lot of books anymore True. because yeah. it's all digital, right? Yeah. So finally, something that is uh, hard to get is is easy to get. And they're on Downpour and on Audible. That's great. Oh, good. Mm-hmm. good for them. <clears throat> Fabulous. All right. Well, what else have we got here? Anything else in the pile? Um. I'm I'm I want to read this uh, Joe Haldeman because I it's been a long time since I read a really good Joe Haldeman but that's because I haven't read a Joe Haldeman recently mm-hmm. um, and uh, I I don't know you know I sort of decry modern authors a lot you know like I don't want to read that it's just a modern book but Joe Haldeman's still alive and he's still writing books this one's not a brand new one but it's new to audio it's called The Coming. Uh, it's read by Kevin Orton, 7.2 hours. Nice, nice, good length there. Um, and I'll read the description. After receiving a message from deep space, astronomer Aurora Rory Bell anticipates extraterrestrial visitors arriving on New Year's Eve. But with Earth teetering on the edge of another world war, Rory soon begins to wonder if the message was a hoax. When the message is leaked to the public, a media frenzy ensues. And so the world waits, but the question still remains as to what exactly everyone is waiting for. So uh, what do you think it is about Joe Haldeman that makes him acceptable for your I don't know. Your brain. I, mean, <laughs> I don't know. I think, you know, 
uh, I, I listened to Juliana um, Kunzendorf on uh, Luke's uh, science fiction book review podcast. Mm-hmm. And she was talking about she had just uh, they just did a review of a book and she was saying how, oh, yeah, it was a Elizabeth Moon Vata's War book, which is, uh, you know, the first of a series called Trading Danger. And she she was saying how she reads some books on the page is she starts at the top left of the of the page and then she sort of finishes at the bottom right of the page. But she doesn't actually like read line by line. Uh, and uh, this is like surprising to me, right? Because I'm a really slow reader on the page. I, I'm like parsing every sentence, every, you know, comma. But for her, when she's reading a book like that, it's just a sort of a, a movie scene, right? And then the next page is a movie scene. And when you're in that mode, she says, um, it's really, you know, it's very consumable. But when she she was talking about switching to uh, to um, going from that to H.G. Wells' The First Man in the Moon, which is a book we're going to probably do in February, um, <laughs> she said you, you can't do it that way because every sentence is very important, mm-hmm. and every sentence right. And so when you read Joe Haldeman, you get the sense that. Uh, the words aren't just there to fill the page. They are there to build up ideas and feelings and story. And I know that <laughs> this is not the only thing that I like about him, but he he seems to do that in a way that, I don't know, I'll like, I haven't read Brandon Sanderson, but he, he can put out, you know, 10 times the amount of book, it seems, in the same amount of space. I, I can't imagine it's because he's putting in the same amount of craft. I somehow see, like, when I read his stuff, I feel like he's crafted it. And even when he doesn't um, pull it off in an amazing way, like he's, he often does or can do anyways, it's somehow, um, it's still a good attempt. And I feel like he's put the work in. So, I, I don't does that explain it? No, not really. But I mean, <laughs> I, I, I was just curious because you know most of the modern authors are like, Meh. yeah. I just wonder I what the difference. No, it, it yeah. does make sense. There's there's a one. There's more intentionality called, to it to you. Yeah, there's one called the Accidental Time Machine, which is a very lightweight book for him. Um, it's a comedic, you know, sort of story, but he takes it seriously in. Even though a lot of silly things happen, it's not exactly a comedy with jokes, but it's it's sort of done as a humor book. But it's he's just so smart, I guess. He's he puts a lot of uh, love or something into his books, which I don't know. I, I, I think I, it goes it goes back to the the stuff happens thing, right? Yeah, yeah, he's. Um, well, remember, well, wasn't it C.S. Lewis who was talking about, you know, if you can read a book again, it's a good book, mm. right? Mm. And, it, uh, you know, Haldeman puts things in there that are worthy of a reread, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah, he, and he has something that, you know, he's got a lot of life experience, a lot of very interesting things. Again, yeah. 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 I think he actually it, handwrites the first draft. Maybe that has something to do with it. 
Well, like, Mine. instead of doing, you know, the Forever War again, right, he writes the Forever Peace, which is completely different. And then then somebody says, but come on, you could you can make a lot of money with the Forever War. And he says, well, okay, I'll give it another shot. And then he does eventually write a sequel, sort of, to the Forever War, right? But he, he isn't like, yeah, let's cash in on this. And, yep, I can put up an, yes, definitely, editor, I can put out 10 million more words on that. I don't know there's um there's a few writers that uh, like I, I keep thinking there's got to be some more people and there are there's always a few i i like robert j sawyer stuff um i like uh um ted chang right but i can't like the majority of people i don't think that'd be sane because i wouldn't have any time <laughs> i think it's part of the old school where things were shorter yeah there's that too do you like John Scalzi? He's kind of short. I liked his first book, but I, I couldn't read past it. I, I just got the same idea every time. And um, the other, you know, the new series or things that aren't a series, uh, they just haven't done it for me. I, I like him as a humorist on Twitter and <laughs> such. He's fun that way. Probably a cool guy, but yeah, not his fiction doesn't do it for me after that. After I got the idea. But well, why are we dissecting me? How come we're not talking about Jenny? <laughs> yeah, Jenny, don't you, you know, read, like, you don't read every line either, do you? Don't you like... Um, only if, if I need to, I do. Okay. I mean, just- some books require it and some books don't. Like, okay, I was reading this book for one of my book clubs, and it's not really a book I would have wanted to read and it's nonfiction and it's like a biography. And so I basically read the first sentence of every paragraph and got the general idea. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of nonfiction books that are, you you, you have to read them that way. They're so crappily written. It's like, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you. And here's what I'm going to tell you. And I know. Yeah, told exactly. You again. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Get it. Uh, Luke, Luke, Luke was uh, in that latest science fiction book review podcast. He said something really funny because Juliana had just finished reading it. So he started reading it because she was uh, she was complaining about it in a fun way. So he started reading it. And and every time the character said, oh, it's going to be really boring. I have to go see my aunt. He'd just skip ahead past that because it would be boring. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, Elizabeth Moon always tells you what's going to happen in the future. Uh, there's some authors who do that. I, I noticed that they they tell you, they foreshadow exactly what's going to happen, and there are no surprises. Um, so every time he would see so, something boring is going to happen, he'd just skip that part and find the next section that's hopefully not going to be boring. <laughs> and it makes a book a lot easier to read, but <laughs> that's not the way I read books, so... I would, I, I could, I'd have to change, change gears completely for that. Did you read Dahlgren that way, Jenny? No. <laughs> Dahlgren, I had to reread quite a bit too, just because <laughs> you kind of go, wait, what just happened? And then you go back, and it doesn't necessarily help. But I mean, I, I appreciate books that force me to slow down and read every word. Like to me, that's what good writing is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Actually, William yeah, Gibson so- wrote the intro to uh, Dahlgren, but he kind of said, well, I don't really understand it. The team's really <laughs> yeah. good. 
Yeah, no, it seems good. I read that intro, and that yeah, that sums it up pretty much. <laughs> A riddle that was never meant to be solved is what it says. Yeah. Hmm. Now, now that sounds like a challenge. <laughs> I dare you to read it. Yeah. Double dog dare you. Uh oh. It's got a lot of sex scenes. <laughs> yeah, that's that's not helping me. Uh, no. That like those alien sex books on my shelf. I didn't buy them because yeah. I I I'm particularly interested in alien sex. It's what? what it is is I buy all anthologies at the used bookstore. You know. I don't have this one. Okay, I'll I'll take it. Were they edited by Philip Jose Farmer? Um, one of them might be. It's funny because I, I didn't intend to start a collection of them. It's just that's a genre that a subgenre that exists, I guess. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.